Welcome, world, all you ghouls and fiends out there. Welcome to the Double D with a Hint of G podcast. This is a show I've wanted to do for a long time now, and so I gathered a few of my friends here, sit down and have a lovely little chat. <clears throat> what we're going to be talking about is basically whatever comes to mind, uh, current events, thoughts that we're having, and other things that might that might tickle our fancy. Uh, I'm joined here with some handsome young lads. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourself? My name's Dan Cast. Nice to meet y'all. So my name's Garrett. I'm going to say a little more than Cast uh, did. Uh, I'm good friends with Cast and Darius. Obviously, we've been friends for a little over eight years now, I'd say. Uh, similar to what Darius was saying, we're just some friends. We like to think we have uh, cool ideas occasionally and are looking forward to sharing them with you. I'm going to pass it back to these guys in a second because uh, I think I just want to preface all of our uh, individual interests and what we're sort of going to be specializing in. So I, for one, uh, take a great joy in studying philosophy. I'm going to try my very best on this podcast to uh, make some of the philosophical ideas more practical and applicable to conversation and daily life. That way you guys don't get bored out of your minds and feel like I'm uh, over here lecturing you all. So nice to meet you guys. Back to cast. Uh, yeah, apologize for not saying too much. Um, basically they've covered all the bases. Um, but I'm a huge nerd. I love playing video games. I stream live on Twitch. Um, and I'm also big into shows, even though I haven't had too much chance to watch them lately, but, uh, we'll try and, uh, cover all our bases. John, yeah. Uh, thanks for that guys. And it actually occurs to me that I forgot to introduce myself at the top here. My name is Darius Cook. Uh, I, too, am a big nerd, and I basically am obsessed with talking, talking about things I'm thinking about, talking about the shows I'm watching, and my girlfriend's tired of listening to me, so I thought I'd take my uh, my insistent talking needs here on this platform to kind of share some of our thoughts. Um, to start off here, guys, uh, there was one topic that's really been in my face this week. Um, are you Have you guys seen the leaks and the rumors about this Warner Brothers Smash game? I think they're calling it the multi-versus game. It's a platformer fighter like Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, uh, you actually sent the picture of me. And was there any other information aside from the picture that they had? Or So from what I've, I've seen a lot of YouTube videos and articles on it, It's it hasn't been announced by Warner Brothers by any means, but there have been like an onslaught of leaks about it in the last week. Uh, one thing that really triggered it for me was uh, Hungrybox is, if you guys are familiar with Hungrybox, he's a famous streamer for Super Smash Brothers, is where he's mainly known, but he does all types of games and platform fighters. Uh, he tweeted uh, a picture, the picture that I, I sent to you guys, along with a lot of other information that he found. And his his tweet was actually removed from Warner Brothers. Like Warner Brothers sent like a cease and desist type of thing and removed his picture, so you can't go back there and find it right now. That being said, there was like over 400,000 people that saw it before it got taken down. But that, to me, is a big sign that the game is definitely happening. Um, that and a bunch of other leaks that I've seen just about it. Interesting. The fact that they decided to cease and desist and have it removed is kind of telling, I feel like. Typically, right. from what I've seen... A lot of um, video game companies, if there's a leak and it's fake, uh, typically they just kind of address like, hey, um, this is fake, so you know, don't pay it any mind. I don't think I've seen them 
actually go out of their way to um, take it down. So that's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I agree that it is really telling. I don't think I, especially just from, I mean, this is a famous person in the video game community for sure. But I just don't think that they're, I don't think that they would take the time to take it down if it didn't mean anything, you know? Uh, if it if it wasn't linked to anything that wasn't true, then it's just conversation. You know, why take that down? Who wants to stop more general conversation around uh, a major company like that? You know, exactly. Did you guys see there was on on one of the Warner Brothers official Twitter pages? They actually dropped like a small animation of Scorpion from Mortal Kombat, like battling with Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Did you guys see that? Was this recent? Yes, this was this was in the last five days. Uh, it was also not only was it Shaggy, it was like Ultra Instinct Shaggy, like the meme of Shaggy being like a god and all that power and everything. Yeah, um, it, it literally had them like doing battle there for a second, and that didn't have anything. They didn't drop any information uh, implying what that would be. But you know, when I first saw it, I thought it was just a fun little thing to put on Twitter. You know. But that coupled with the leaks that we have gotten, it seems pretty likely like we're getting something like that now. It's interesting because having played Mortal Kombat like my entire life, and I've played a lot of the most recent one, I think, I haven't seen the video, so I don't know if it's a different one, but they, I don't know if Warner Brothers exactly or if it was NetherRealm that posted it, but they, like during the time when they were like talking or new characters were still coming out to Mortal Kombat, a lot of people had joked about uh, Shaggy joining the roster because of at the time there was that Shaggy meme where he was going Ultra Instinct and stuff like that. Um, but the fact that they went ahead and posted it again is pretty interesting. I what I think is most interesting about this, uh, of course, it can't. What we can't ignore here is the recent drop of the Nickelodeon Brawl Stars game, which, in my opinion, is the first true contender for Super Smash Brothers with large IPs that people actually recognize that, you know, you can combine all these IPs in the same game. For Nickelodeon, obviously, it's the Nickelodeon characters. Uh, Nick, you know, just the cartoons that we all grew up watching. Uh, but for this Warner Brothers uh, multiverses game, the sky is really the limit. I mean, they have uh, movie franchises, Harry Potter, Gandalf, and then they also own Cartoon Network. So there's endless Cartoon Network characters. Already on the leaks that I've seen, there's Steven Universe, who's a popular Cartoon Network character, as well as Rick and Morty seems to be implied to be in the game. So if we're talking Adult Swim, Cartoon Network, film franchises, the, the sky really is the limit. And that really excites me as just a, uh, a lover of fandoms and nerd culture in general. Yeah, it's interesting yeah uh, that is pretty interesting is that going to overlap with the injustice uh platform fighters well i'm not quite sure not in the gameplay of it it's well, certainly going to be a different gameplay type style yeah, yeah. injustice yeah isn't really injustice like a is more similar to like a mortal Kombat, whereas this yeah. is going to be more similar to like a smash right yeah yes that being said also on the leaks uh it says that batman is going to be in the game i, <laughs> I see superman as fight. well Sure. Yeah. I've, I've heard LeBron James is supposed to be in the game. I mean, and that actually makes a lot of sense considering the biggest Warner Brothers movie that came out in the last few months here would be Space Jam. And I've heard Bugs Bunny is supposed to be in the game. So w with characters like this, we're talking Bugs Bunny, Rick and Morty, LeBron James, Gandalf and Lord of the Rings. I'm so excited, guys. 
Yeah, and they that could is pretty interesting. They could That's definitely a, bring in uh, Mortal Kombat characters. Definitely a wide variety of uh, people you could play as. I wonder how the balance is going to work and what kind of abilities they're going to give people like LeBron. There, there is a twist in the game though. Uh, unlike just the standard Super Smash Brothers like style of game, or even the Nickelodeon Brawl Stars that that came out recently, this is supposed to be like a tag team type game. I don't know if you guys ever played Tekken, but you know how you can pick multiple characters and then one dies, you switch to the other one? Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think it is still going to follow the same format as the three-stock battle, but every time you lose a stock, you switch to your secondary slash tertiary character that you have. That's really cool. Yeah, there used to be a uh, Mortal Kombat arcade game, I think, where that was an option. I never played Tekken before, but I, I played a Mortal Kombat arcade where I think that used to uh, be a feature. It's a feature I haven't seen in, in any fighting games recently at all, but I think specifically for a platform fighter, this is an, uh, is a real way to actually like break the mold a little bit. A lot of the uh, controversy over Nickelodeon Brawl Stars was that it's just a copy of Smash, but worse. Like it just has everything Smash has, but less of it. You know, without the voice lines and things like that. Another thing I've heard, I've been looking way too much into this is that uh, because Warner Brothers has such a large budget and such a large range of IPs, they also are going to have voice lines for all the characters, which that, that's been super fun. That brings so much more life to the game and just fun while you're playing it. Uh, the one platform fighter I could think of that has that three-stock uh, feature game type is Brawlhalla, actually. Uh, Brawlhalla oh, okay. has, has a game mode where you can select three people and just as you said... Uh, you lose a stock, you come in as your second, and then you lose that stock, you come in as your third. Uh, if the game happens to play out that long, if you don't three-stock your opponent, obviously. Um, the only thing, is there, has there ever been a platform fighter where you can, uh, actively tag in and out, even if you don't lose the stock? I definitely have played a game like that before. I can't, for some reason, that I can't think of one that comes to mind, but I can think of, like, uh, arcade, arcade style type game. I think there was a Spider Man one I played. But certainly, like joystick and you know the you know four circular buttons on the pad there type of right. style of game. I have played a game like that before, but uh, I would I would reckon that is an untapped uh, market side of video games that hasn't really been explored, at least not to its full fullest extent. I thought that would be cool as well because you could take like a like a more heavy attack person, open up with them, maybe get some quick damage off and then sub in really quick to a, uh, obviously like a quicker, more defensive fighter. They're, they're just, I feel like more strategy could yeah, be, uh, a lot more layers to the game. Yeah, exactly. I've yeah. I've definitely seen a lot Cast, of, do you have, uh, uh, any takes? I've definitely seen a lot of, um, fighters that like you can swap in and out between your team. There's a bunch of fighting games that have the mechanic where you can you choose like three people and or you have another person that you're playing with swap in and out with to swap in and out mm-hmm. with and uh um a lot of them have the mechanic where like if you're on the bench you start to heal a little bit um mm. I think Ninja Storm had that um well, why am I forgetting about Ninja Storm you're yeah totally right. And then I just recently played um, the name's kind of escaping me, but it's a it's like a Power Rangers fighting game, and apparently a lot of people still play it, still getting updated. Power Rangers Shattered Grid or something like that. Um, I can check super quickly. Um, 
I got it off like a fighting game bundle and I was just kind of going through playing all the different ones. And, mm. um, oh, like Battle Grid, not Shattered Grid. It's Power Rangers, yeah, Battle for the Grid. Yep. Um, and it has that same thing where you choose three different Power Rangers or Power Rangers characters. And then from there, you, um, you can swap in and out freely, and when they're on the bench, I think they heal a little bit. I can't remember for sure. I, I didn't play too much of it, but... Well, in the Mortal Kombat co-op tower, I remember, like, the boss tower, it would be, like, say, you and I up against, like, a boss AI, and that's exactly what happens. You go out on the bench, and you heal passively. Very slow, but, you know... Yeah. Uh... It's not, like, a new mechanic, for sure, but as, as far as, like, Smash-like platforming games, it, it definitely would be. So you you touched on Power Rangers a second ago there, and I I've got to take us there because I am low key a huge Power Rangers fan on the side. You guys probably didn't know that about me. Uh, are you guys privy to just how deep the Power Rangers lore goes? Uh, I can imagine that for you know a series that's been going as long as it has, the the lore would have to be like you know kind of deep, you know. It's nothing too crazy, at least if we're talking about uh, the show continuity. But mm. what, one thing I've been diving into in the YouTube rabbit holes here is the comic book universe for Power Rangers. The lore is very deep and very... Uh, there, there's a lot of continuity going on there. There, will, there. The reason I said Shattered Grid is because that's actually the name of the comic book series that came mm. out a few years ago. And it reignited my passion for Star Wars all the way back from when I was like six years old. I just, just said Star Wars. Yeah, I was like, Star Wars, huh? Freudian slip. I love Star Wars as well. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a great comic book series. I suggest anyone to check it out on YouTube. Uh, if you're if you're thinking that Power Rangers is just for kids, because it definitely is, uh, you should look into it a little more. There's a lot more going on there. Yeah, the, I think the one thing that always kind of drew me out of Power Rangers is once I hit a certain age, it started to seem like, at least as far as the show goes, like very uh, almost low budget. Mm. However, I did see the one Power Ranger movie that came out a few years ago, and that was actually pretty good. Oh, you're talking about like the when they like redid like go, uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in like theaters and everything. Uh, I think so. I can. I, 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 we have to be talking about the same thing. There's no way there's more than one Power Rangers movie in the last. Yeah, movie. it seemed like it was kind of high budget. I I really liked that movie. I saw it in theaters with my younger brothers, and I thought it was so good. I wanted so much more out of it. And they set up a sequel, but uh, there's been zero news of that ever since. Mm-hmm. I wonder how it did on uh, in the box office. I'm pretty sure it did well. I actually know more about this than oh. I should. The reason it did really well, and it was even there was the confirmation for a sequel that they were in, they were already starting to write for. The problem with it was. Power Rangers was bought by a new company, like the whole IP. Uh, what is it? Um, I can't. It's a kids' company, and I can't think of what it's called right now. But it's something mm-hmm. we definitely all uh, would recognize. But yeah, it, way, that stopped. That halted production on that completely because it was just a whole new company owns it now. Yeah, it said the budget was fifteen million dollars, and the box office did sixty-six point four million. So that's that's pretty that's really solid. Cool. 
Yeah. Any any movie that makes more than it spent is a slamming success at the box office for sure. Exactly. Yeah. No, that that's that's very good. Honestly. Yeah, I'm I'm not terribly familiar with Power Rangers. I mean, obviously I was into it when I was younger, but I don't remember much at all. Yeah, fair enough. I've always considered myself a Blue Ranger kind of guy, but that's <laughs> Um yeah, so, but um as far as like um you know one upping smash and you know being the quote unquote smash killer uh that game definitely has to do things differently cuz i feel like smash has its uh has its formula down pretty well yes um, that's true smash has certainly perfected uh what it does to the best of its own ability that being said all what it and i i i have heard rumblings of this as well what it really needs in order to set itself apart is support from the developers to the community. Uh, I don't know how into the Smash community you guys have been. I spent a long time and a lot of hours into the Smash community. And the biggest complaint is that there's not a relationship between the players and the developers. And the things that they patched are few and far between and not what they're asking for in terms of correcting the competitive scene and stuff like that. You know, characters remain broken for a long time and are not banned from tournaments and stuff like that. Um, as long as, if they can come in hot with a, with a strong relationship to developing the meta and the competitive scene, I'm sure it'll do just fine. Yeah. Um, I have a couple things to say there. Uh, I definitely have heard that uh, the developers don't really do much as far as, you know, as you said, updating and also creating like tournaments and stuff like that with a decent prize pool and, yeah. you know kind of encouraging the competitive play and um also let's just be honest the nintendo you know servers are, are dog shit like they're not good at all okay. the matchmaking for is been, for a game that's been pushing online play for a decade now it is it has barely improved no it's it's play. so far behind you know playstation or xbox or you know pc like it, it is so far behind and for how much money they make it, it's kind of insane that like it still doesn't work. And then on top of that, the like competitive matchmaking for smash, like would also, you can get paired in a match where it has like all items or, you know, specific rule sets. And I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if they ever updated it to where you could, um, like change that and filter out what you're searching for. But, you could, but that, but the onslaught of all the different versions and the lack of support with the online play, it was pretty unviable. I don't know many people that really spent a lot of time playing online competitive. Exactly. And well, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, uh, if you only have like one more thing to touch on, you should go go with that because I'm gonna elaborate a little bit based on what you were saying prior. Um. Basically, I was saying that I feel like the the nature of fighting games in general, they're hardly ever casual. Like they're they're mainly just like sit on the couch and play with your friends if that's mm-hmm. like able, if you're present and able to do that. So, I feel like a fighting game really has to tailor into the competitive side of it if they want to last long cuz which is that's literally precisely what I was gonna gonna say. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, 
realistically at the end of the day the people that are still playing melee are the are the competitive ones and you know that game is well past it's what any game should be played you know well well past yeah i was gonna say to uh to pretty much go off of what Cass was saying is uh you know we're saying like we want these things but you also have to like consider what do you think is their goal for the game i don't necessarily think that they're like looking for that competitive niche they they definitely seem to be making most of their sales off of just the casual player and that's what they kind of are looking to market towards which is why we're not going to get a lot of those you know balancing uh patches on different characters that are quote-unquote broken or uh they they don't even set up tournaments you know like most of the tournaments are done underground or like hosted privately by whatever people or companies uh so I agree, though. I think it's very similar to, like, the Dead by Daylight situation as well, as they don't balance necessarily for the competitive scene. They balance, you know, more according to just what makes people have fun playing the game. And I think that's, like, perfect for them because they the amount of things they would have to change and do to make it a, a competitive game would be a little too much, I think. Like, I, I don't know if that game in nature is ready for competitive. I mean, people... People have tried hosting different tournaments and have all these different rule sets, banning certain characters or whatever. But the game, like as a whole, uh, you know, it's it's hard to balance an asymmetrical game. Um, mm-hmm. But on top of that, like I, I I think what they're doing as far as Dead by Daylight and tailoring to the casual audience is probably the better idea because I I, I can't see it being uh, competitive. Now before we. Before we jump away from the whole Warner Brothers topic, there is one one thing I think that's interesting as they are diving into this potentially large uh, vertical for them which, within the gaming industry is I, I, I looked at the report of the streaming services breakdowns recently and HBO Max, which is obviously owned by Warner Brothers, is sitting at the bottom of all the streaming services that exist. There's Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus. Amazon and Apple TV. That's five other services that all sit above HBO Max in terms of su- subscribers and viewership at the moment. Uh, which is kind of a shame to say because HBO Max is an embellishment of HBO, which has been a lot around longer than any of the things I just mentioned by decades, in fact. So they they're they're doing very poorly in the streaming service game right now. But I think that this type of vertical could work out for them and. And I think it's a piggyback off of the previous movie, Space Jam. Did you guys see that one, by the way, with LeBron James? I didn't see the no, most recent uh, one. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it, it was like watching Ready Player One. I'm not saying it was a great movie or anything. It was like watching Ready Player One with all the different characters and Easter eggs that they jam-packed into that movie. Uh, I mean, the plot and the acting was just so-so. But what was fun about watching the movie was seeing all these characters scoping from all over the place, like... Uh, you, you know, you've got the Game of Thrones characters in the mix, and you can see the Iron Giants and all that type of fun stuff. So if I, I, I see them uh, leaning more and more towards this, like, multiverse type of content that they're pushing. And I think that maybe that might just be the light at the end of the tunnel to keep them going here. I think um, the problem with HBO is, correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't been on um, the streaming service in a little bit, but what... Um, all the other ones are doing is like, you know, they have 
movies and shows from you know all over like a lot of them share the same movies and shows as far as i can tell hbo kind of has their own like only their own kind of stuff that they own and like some movies yeah, and stuff like that by comparison excuse me you're, you're saying it's it's very it's exclusive content yeah and and yeah. that's not to say it's bad it's just mm-hmm. lacking in variety and like i i feel like a lot of times people want to watch stuff that you can find on Hulu or Netflix that I'm sure HBO could get the rights to stream as well, but mm. uh, they just don't have all the popular, big popular shows that everyone's watching at the time. Yeah, that's true, honestly. I'm I'm pretty disappointed with HBO. I mean, one thing that's interesting that Warner Brothers slash HBO is doing is, uh, I think it's called a day and day date release strategy. So... Uh, for example, all, all their movies for 2021 that are going to be released in theaters are also, this has already been happening for months and months now, but are simultaneously released on HBO Max for free. So in theory, that would drive a lot more people to the service. But what what I wonder is, is that not just cutting whatever profit margins they could potentially have in half? Uh, recently, Dune just came out, and I watched that on HBO Max for free. I mean... I am paying fifteen a month for the service, of course. But I, if it wasn't, if that option wasn't available, a movie like Dune, I certainly would have gone to the theaters to watch. My girlfriend and I would have watched. So, about fifteen dollars a ticket, that would have been double the sales for that specific movie. If you compare it to just my fifteen a month for HBO Max. Yeah, Disney is kind of getting away with releasing it at the same time, but also if you want to watch it at home, you still have to purchase the movie. Yes, that's right. All the Disney movies are still thirty dollars to watch at home uh, versus going just to the theater to watch it. So they're yeah, probably they're probably um they're probably like seeing like okay, people the average viewer isn't you know sticking around on HBO and watching as much as we'd like them to. So if we can get them to sit down and watch this movie and hop on the streaming service, even if it's they lost thirty dollars or whatever they can probably say, okay, well, this kind of makes up for the amount of time they've been watching recently. So they can probably, probably they're, they're, they're thinking that like the money lost from the box office or the theaters or whatever kind of gets made up. Yeah. In the, in the monthly payments, but I'm not sure. That's the only way I can kind of rationalize that they would do that. Fair enough. What what is for you guys? What's your go to streaming service? You got you got no shows you're currently watching. You got a whole afternoon to yourself. Which one are you opening first? So for me personally, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a mother that you know has uh, Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, Hulu. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I find myself just going to Netflix. I think it might be just because it's familiar. Unless there's a very specific movie I want to see that is on one of the other platforms, I'm going to Netflix every time. Mm. Um, it's actually kind of hard. It really depends on like how what I'm feeling. Um, but I would say typically I'll go to Amazon Prime or Netflix. I do like Prime just because um, they've got a wide selection of movies. You can also just like rent off of it. So if That's there's some for movies alone, Prime is kind of the best way to go. They have the, maybe the widest selection, and because you can buy it, they don't have 
to like only have certain companies that they have contracts with. Yeah, for like two bucks, I can rent a movie for a day. Like that, you know, that's pretty chill in my eyes. I, I, I agree. That is like the best thing that Amazon Prime has to offer as compared to the other ones. Uh, I know I'm the one who posed this question, but I'm kind of the same. I don't have, a, I honestly don't have a preference. This is how I was as a kid, though. I never identified as a Nickelodeon, Disney, or Cartoon Network kid. I felt it important to give them all equal viewing attention. And that's kind of my approach to these streaming services as well. That being said, like Small says, no one has Netflix beat in terms of just their platform user base. It is very comfortable. I know it well, and it's easy to navigate. Netflix branding and just the way that they set up their service is definitely better than the rest. The rest are just doing their best to have their own version of that, in my opinion. Well, and that comes with, you know, being the first to really take over the space. Yeah. I mean, Hulu's been around for for longer, I, I, I think. I don't think that's true. Really? And Netflix, I mean, Netflix started as movies yeah you, you uh, the first the first time i was on netflix i was scrolling on a website on my computer and like picking things to queue and by queuing it i was queuing it to be sent to my house or yeah that's how it was wasn't it that's so crazy to think about actually. They, would mail, they, they competed with blockbuster actually initially that's they they're the reason blockbuster died and then they, sure. they, they grew into something you know bigger into what we now have who okay. definitely has been around the second longest though. Like Hulu was the next one to hop on that way for sure. As far as I'm looking it up here, I think as far as like becoming popular, that was around 2007 to 2012. And I think earlier than I thought. That's crazy. And I think Hulu was founded around the same time. What? I would be find out is when hulu started was it because right now hulu is owned by disney i don't know if you guys knew that but hulu well, is technically under the disney umbrella they don't brand it like that at all because obviously disney is known for family-friendly content mm-hmm. you can hardly see anything uh probably the most explicit thing you can watch on disney plus is the mandalorian or something like that mm-hmm. it's like the most you know rated r thing uh and Hulu, as comparison, has all types of content, you know, stuff with sex in the name and killing and all sorts of stuff. So they, I think they do, a, they work hard and effectively to not associate the two brands together, but Hulu is owned by Disney. Uh, a private version of the service was launched on October 29, 2007, and Hulu was open to the general public on March 12, 2008. So still... Wow around the same time as Netflix, but I think Netflix really took over the space like in that, in the same like period, just way like it just blew up even bigger than Hulu. And then Hulu, I feel like has been trying to is slowly, but surely kind of catching up a little bit, but um, yeah. So here's my, my question. And it's kind of plays back into the platform fighting game as well. Uh, I, you know, I'd probably equate, smash to uh netflix right and all these all these other uh brands definitely have their own unique things to offer but it's all pretty much the same thing right it's all pretty much a streaming platform for shows and movies etc uh and like i said you know i'm not as big into movies and films as uh, uh shows as you guys are so i just go to netflix it's easy man you know i have everything available i still go to netflix i think that's the way it is for most people as well 
Uh, do you see any of these other streaming platforms taking over Netflix without, you know, doing anything really revolutionary? I have a strong opinion about this. Go for it. I, so uh, I this is less of an opinion as much as it is me regurgitating something I actually heard on the podcast. But Disney Plus has only been out for a couple years now, and it already has about a third of the um, – uh, this from the time that I heard this information, a third of the membership of Netflix. And if you are to like, if basically they like calculated if they continued at that growth, which Disney plus the new company, as time goes by, they only have more time to invest in more projects and therefore making more content. So it stands to reason that it will continue to grow at a similar rate. Um, but if you take that same rate in the next six years, it will have more subscribers than Netflix. I might be getting those numbers slightly off because I am just regurgitating something I heard. But yeah, that, that that's the claim that they made. And I can see it. I mean, if Disney Plus continues to make content like Marvel's What If, I really like that a lot. And uh, Star Wars Vision, uh, both those animated shows were amazing in my opinion. If they continue to do stuff like that, and all the Marvel shows that aren't animated, come to think of it, uh, at least for me, I'm a sucker for it. And I'll, I'll keep coming back to that. I have a rebuttal. Uh, solely based off the idea that Disney is an established brand already, right? These other streaming platforms that come to be feel like don't have the same, you know, just sheer power of the name Disney, right? So Disney, I think, is going to hit like a crazier uh, growth rate at the beginning solely for the reason that it has Disney in the name. And I, for one... I, I don't know if I could ever see myself getting a subscription for Disney Plus because a lot of what I'm into watching is stuff that Disney would not support in the first place. You know, I I tend to lean more into the uh, the thriller, the horror, uh, you know, serious dramas, stuff like that, that I, I could never see Disney getting behind. That is fair. Disney is just by nature of it being considered a family friendly uh, content service. Like they, they are shutting themselves off to a very large market, especially the, now the horror slash serious, you know, the, the more intense stuff, the rated R stuff is what sells nowadays. Just look at Squid Game just became the the biggest show on Netflix ever, uh, which is a crazy feat considering it's only been out for less than a month now. So uh, just using that as a as a metric, you're, I think you might be right about that. Disney might be shot in the foot a bit. You'd think... Um... Maybe, I, I don't know if they would ever do this or, you know, they don't want to, like, ruin the brand name. But, you know, Cartoon Network had Adult Swim. I'm sure Disney could do something similar where they have, like, a more adult-oriented, like, section of Disney where, you know. Well, isn't that just what Hulu is for them then? Uh, I suppose so. But, you know, I think it, I think if someone said, like, this is like a Hulu original or this is a Disney like original. I think it's not associated with the Disney brand. That is what I was just saying. Yeah. And just like, just everyone's going to be curious. It's like, Oh, Disney's taking a step into like the, you know, adult kind of market. Like everyone's going to want to tune in and see like what, what their first like creations are. Good that... point. And if, if they came out with something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. If they came out with something big, like all of a sudden I'm sure their subscription base would shoot up too. You can you can charge a little extra maybe for the adult section of Disney as well. That's not a bad idea. 
I, I wonder if they're they're married to their whole friendly family uh, yeah. content, but that if they did that, that like that certainly would grab my attention for sure. I I agree entirely, and I think that's how they win. With the caveat that the very committed diehard Disney people don't get turned off by that idea, and then cancel their subscriptions for the family friendly aspect. Well, yeah, I yeah. think I think you would have to like. They would have to make it in a way where one you have to pay extra that way it keeps it from like okay you get disney plus and you know you want your little kid you're, you're fine with your little kids watching anything on there because you know typically family friendly but you make right. it like you know you got to pay a little extra maybe there's a little passcode to get into the disney adult that the parents can set up so they don't like feel like they're introducing their kids to like violent or you know whatever and that leave room for the more conservative viewers to mm-hmm. feel like for whoever they want to share their passwords with and whatnot. Exactly. Have you guys ever heard about, so uh, on this concept, on, on the topic of Disney being, you know, this family, family-friendly family uh, content base, um, have you guys noticed how, um, this might be a little controversial, okay? Uh, I have noticed the gay community loves Disney, right? That's no secret. Would you, would you, would you guys agree with that initial statement? Uh, I could see Disney that. Content. Maybe not Disney as a concept, but Disney content. Uh, mm-hmm. I am going, I'm boldly going on, uh, on paper here saying that I think a lot of gay people really like Disney, mm-hmm. but Disney does not in any way, shape or form promote any, uh, they're not okay with, uh, gay values. Um, you can see on their content, they're getting uh, a little bit more into that direction. The most recent Star Wars movie that came out, there is one, uh, female on female kiss, like deep in the background of one scene, mm-hmm. and w- something that was a little bit more in the 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 limelight of discussion was Love Victor. Have you guys heard about that show? No, I have no. not. It's it's a spinoff of the movie Love Simon that came out, which was like this great like um, coming of age story about a guy who basically is coming to terms with his homosexuality and his social standing in school or whatever. Um, that movie did really well, and then they Disney was making the show uh, based off the same concept, you know. Um, but it was set to release on Disney Plus, but then they pulled it and then released it on Hulu specifically because they didn't think that their Disney uh, subscribers would be okay with that. You know, it'd be too much. So I, I'm just I'm just uh, noting the um, the 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 stark difference between. Uh, I, I do think that a lot of uh, Disney branding content, Disney movies and stuff like that, the gay community kind of uh, flocks to it in a way where, but Disney does not reciprocate that. But if they did do that, that's another vertical, just like rated R content, let's say, that could really bring them up and elevate their status, you know? Yeah. And um, I, it, it's weird that, uh, you know, a lot of companies are still scared to, to tailor to the LGBTQ plus like a community because they're afraid of their conservative viewers, you know, yeah. protesting yeah. and backlashing. Which is interesting considering the fact that it's been proven just by history. You can look at any company that has done this. That's one of those oil, you know, demographics uh, you can attain as like a, uh, a, a fundamental base of like your, uh, I don't know what you would call it. I guess your supporters, right? I mean, the LGBTQ community is, in my opinion, from what I've just observed from the outside, one of the most loyal you can gain. 
You know, mm. they'll be supporting you the entire way. Right. Like, I would think that you would want to tailor to the LGBT community. Like, why wouldn't you? That's uh, especially where we are in society currently. That just seems like a slam dunk, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And frankly, just being on the right side of history as well. <laughs> Agreed. And right. Netflix is certainly doing that, and that's probably another reason why Netflix is doing so well. There's tons of LGBTQ content on Netflix. Yeah, well, I think. Um, I mean, this is just kind of judging off of the game Dead by Daylight that I play a lot. Um, I think a large community, or like a large part of the community, is the LGBTQ community in Dead by Daylight, specifically at least. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. Um, like horror and thrillers and stuff like that are, are things they they really enjoy as well. So uh, I don't think it would be a bad thing to to tap into you know making some horror films or anything if they're if they're going down the that route, you know. Well, for me, a couple of weeks ago, as you guys know, I turned twenty four, which has subsequently put me into a a crisis, if you will. Uh, I know 24 in the grand scheme of things is definitely young, but it's kind of just shaken me up a little bit. I got here really quickly. feels like just yesterday we were all just shooting this shit in high school. Couldn't even really imagine being 24, and now I'm here in the blink of an eye. Um, but what that's led me to is kind of uh, re, re-fine-tuning uh, my bucket list, uh, which is something I haven't really looked at in a while, uh, but I've revisited, I revisited it uh, just recently here. And had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, I can kind of highlight a couple of things I'm looking at doing. Do you guys have like uh, bucket list items? Uh, is there like a short list of like things you guys would like to do soon, or you know, even as crazy as the more unrealistic stuff? You know, shoot for the stars. What's on your bucket? Um, for me, um, I've definitely like as far as like you know, not super crazy and stuff that like a lot of people probably have done or um you know skydive bungee jump mm-hmm. stuff like that just because i i mean obviously they look really fun um but as someone that is deathly afraid of heights and uh mm-hmm. stuff like that uh i think that's definitely something i would eventually like to do to kind of take a step into conquering that fear and you know you know maybe maybe i'll actually really enjoy it but even if it's a miserable experience, I, I still would like to, to kind of. At the very least, be done. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like, I mean, who, who doesn't want to be, you know, on their deathbed at like eighty and you know look back at literally plummeting thousands of feet towards the earth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I so I have been skydiving, and I can say from experience, uh, I have to go again because zero thoughts are running through my head the whole time. <laughs> I remember the overwhelming fear before I was about to jump out of the plane. And then I remember the excitement of landing on the ground. Everything else, I have a few visuals, but zero thoughts in my head. I was going to say, um, I think I'm more of the anomaly when it comes to this. I don't have any said like bucket list like events and experiences I necessarily want to check off. And I think that uh, essentially comes to the idea that I value this, the, uh, the intelligible uh, more than I value the sensible world. I think a lot of people look for experience in life, whereas mm-hmm. I'm looking for the universals. I'm looking in, I guess, like you could argue like platonic forms and concepts. I look for the truth and information is like really where I get my fulfillment in life rather than yeah. it is, you know, uh, doing things, I guess. It's more 
thinking things and finding as much information and truth and knowledge as I can acquire. Of course, I have goals, which I suppose you could equate to, uh, you know, you the normal person. Yeah, goals could certainly be a bucket list item. Do you right. think I could boil down what you're talking about here to the difference between uh, internal and external uh, validation or fulfillment? Is that the main difference we're talking about here? Well, I mean, I think you could jump out of a fucking plane and plummet to the earth without telling anyone. And if you find that fulfilling in itself, I think that that would still be something internal, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause like, did you, let me, let me ask you this. Did you jump out of that plane for anybody else's validation aside from yourself? Yes. Really? It was certainly something I, I wanted to do for myself for sure. Um, uh-huh. But no, as you're saying this, I'm realizing that uh, certainly there are notes here of me doing, I, I, I've done a lot of stuff on my bucket list and uh, that was something I had a lot of fun doing at a certain point in my time, for sure, um, at a certain point in my life, for sure. But mm-hmm. I, now that you're bringing this concept up, I'm actually questioning myself here. Am I just collecting experiences almost to, so that okay. way, I'm almost like building my resume of I've had a good life. And I think that certainly is relevant, at least for me. Like, they are stuff I want to do anyways. But uh, to answer your question, honestly, like, I want to present myself as someone who's done a lot of cool different things you know what i mean uh-huh. um that's certainly in the mix like i i would be lying if i said any of the but all the things i want to do on my bucket list at least a little bit of why i want to do it is again to build my resume of cool experiences i i'm darius and i've spent my life doing cool things you know what i mean so let me and ask you this question I think this question is going to be like the uh, the key to understanding right now, for me at least, and probably for you. Would you have skydived if nobody could ever find out you did? Very, very interesting. I think yes. Uh, well, okay. Actually, I don't think I don't think I would have. I think I still would have wanted to, and if I was presented the opportunity to do it, I still would have chosen to do. It. I would chose. I would choose to do it still. You know. Uh, given the opportunity okay. now i suck it out on my birthday and got a group of guys to go do it with me uh when i on my 20th birthday uh if if i hadn't ha- if i couldn't have you know gotten a group together and if i couldn't have done a birthday post about it let's say i don't think i would have done it right then i wouldn't have i wouldn't have had as much urgency you know half of it is the desire the other half is you know building the resume <laughs> right it's a resume. You, you keep saying building a resume that you, you lived a good life. You're, you're referring to like building a resume to present to others, not for yourself on your deathbed. Uh, I, I would say both things are at play. Uh, I, I think uh, there's a, I certainly have an internal fear of not living a full life, let's say. Uh, each year that passes by, you know, there's a little bit of that regret of, oh, I'm still just here, wherever, whatever place I'm at in life. Who know, I don't know if I'll ever be satisfied, but always kind of a thought that I should be further than I am. And so uh, collecting experiences is kind of a way to internally tell myself that I am doing stuff for sure. You know, when I get anxious about that type of thing, I can say, oh, but I've done skydiving and I've done ATV here, whatever kind of cool experience I've done. And that kind of makes me feel a little bit more secure that I am living a life, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, uh, it's that it's also in the mix that I also want other people to think I'm living a cool life, just like I want people to think I'm doing well in life or I'm not just a loser or whatever. You know, it's 
yeah, uh, you're helping me uh, realize a lot of things here. Yeah, that's literally what I devote my life to, yeah, is trying to, like, get to that. Yeah. Uh, Cast, what's your take? Um, I think I mainly want to skydive for me. Um, that just, like, for an accomplishment to myself of me, you know, conquering that fear to an extent. Um, as far as, like doing things in my life so that I can say I lived a life worth living. Um, it's kind of tough to say because like, I never really like post on any sort of social media that much. <laughs> I mean, it, obviously like I feel like an innate thing that, you know, most humans want to do is, you know, kind of give themselves a pat on the back. So, I mean, there's always that there, but I think mainly a lot of times I want to do things um, like get experiences, knock stuff off my bucket list is mainly just so like my own peace of mind or, you know, I don't want to look back and be like, dang, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would do a lot of the things, even if it meant I could Nobody share them. Yeah. I will um, say I, I do have a very strong fear of regret. Like, that that emotion that you're touching on there, Cass, like you don't want to look back in your life and wish that you had done stuff. Uh, anytime I'm thinking about doing something, anything, uh, if you are to bring, if you were to bring that point up to me, you know, you don't want to look back X amount of years from now and wish that you had, is a large motivating factor on why I do most things. Uh, me too. Why I decided to start podcasting. You know, uh, fear of regret is a very scary thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I, mean, I think that a lot of philosophers all have like a pretty similar take on this. Camus being one of my favorite, you know, he has a quote saying uh, pretty much, you know, you'll never find a man scared of death that is not scared of life. You know, the people, the same people that are scared of death are the ones that are scared to live. And that's very uh, similar to like what you guys are saying about these experiences. Wait, can, you, can you extrapolate on that for me for a second? The man who is afraid of life, afraid of death is also afraid of life. Yep. Yeah, you okay. very rarely do you find okay. people that, you know, go at life so hard without fear. Those people, very rarely when you ask them, are you scared to die? You know, they, they aren't to the same extent as the people that are afraid to live for the sole reason of the fact that they consider uh, the potential for death and their actions every day. You know, like say like these skydivers, right, that mm -hmm. skydive every day because that's their passion. They absolutely love it. These guys have definitely considered dying before, you know, they, every time they step out that plane, they probably do, but they have a reason to live. They have their why. And because of that, they're not, they're not sitting here in fear of death. They're, they're living life and they're going hard. And that can be extended to all different facets. It doesn't even have to be like an extreme sport necessarily. Yeah. Uh, Victor Frankl, who uh, he wrote, uh, what was the book? Man's Search for Meaning. He, he was a Jewish doctor. And he went into a, uh, I think he was in, uh, what's the, Victor Frankl, he went to the Nazis, essentially, he was captured, uh, he was in a camp, and okay. he, he practiced the uh, philosophy of Stoicism, uh, okay. which is essentially, like, his, his key takeaway was, you know, we can't control outside events, but when all of our freedom has been taken from us, the one thing we can hold on to and never be you know stripped of is how we respond mm. our 
our will to live and our, you know, pretty much mental, mental, uh, like what's the way to say this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's how we react that, that nobody can take from us. And no with why. that, he had his why. He, he actually had the opportunity to escape from the camp, but he stayed uh, to tend to the sick and injured other prisoners. And that just showed how much of a why he was willing to stay in that camp and die just to help other people. And uh, essentially that's how he ended up surviving long enough is because he had a why he, he said he was sitting down in the yard and he was watching all these people fall over, you know, and die. And the reason these people were dying that he, he made the correlation of is these are the people that are already given up. They weren't thinking about why they wanted to get out, why they wanted to keep living. And uh, there's something that plays into that, you know? Yeah, that, that's an extreme version of, uh, of what can happen with, with when you don't have a purpose in life. But that even just in a normal day life, if you're just someone who works a nine to five doing anything and just live what we would call a quote unquote normal life without your purpose, you know, maybe you might not physically wither away right then and there like uh, those people in those situations would. But emotionally, you you can die for sure. Uh, without a purpose for sure i feel like i've experienced small moments of that certainly not dying or anything like that but the feeling of not feeling what your purpose is uh can feel very dark and i guess uh to use the metaphor of death you know yeah i mean i feel like that's a very common feeling in people our age uh, yeah i don't think i know a single person who questions their purpose who doesn't well excuse me well I don't know if it even is uh, exclusive to this current time. I mean, Ben Franklin, granted, that was only 250 years ago or whatever it was. He has a famous quote saying, most men die at 25, but aren't buried until 70, you know? Well, yeah. Well, like, what? Like the reason I'm saying is because now, you know, you open your phone, you see people living the life, people fucking younger than you, people that are, like, you know, not even – old enough to buy a beer here in the U S and you know, mm-hmm. they're making millions upon millions of dollars. And then I think a lot of people, you know, open their phones, see that. And like, they really think they're like, wow, what am I doing right now? Like, what is like, what is my purpose? What is like, it's a lot of comparison because it's so yeah. accessible. Well, uh, just the, the internet world is just like the internet is literally a giant measuring stick for everyone. You can literally see how you stack up. And any anything you're interested in, any any metric that exists, your height, your looks, your job, how much you get paid, uh, your your gaming stats. If there's any anything you can literally judge that metric based on every, pretty much everyone in the world, you know, uh, or at least anyone who has access to it, as like you do. Uh, everything can be measured now, which is kind of sickening in a way. Yeah, <laughs> and that's hobby I can engage in. I can immediately kind of rank myself on where i stand man. yeah and that's like a, a big thing I, I struggle with especially like in the streaming sphere uh like a lot of times i'll find myself comparing like myself to other people that they m- might not have been streaming as long but they're doing like two three times four times whatever like that much better mm-hmm. than me or you know people have been doing it long and then like i see that like they're still not really growing and, you know, it's like you know, nothing's for certain and like I, I can't help but like compare myself to other people sometimes. And then it, like sometimes it'll either motivate me or, um, you know, make me feel like, oh, you know, what, what what's even the point? Why am I doing this? I, I feel like 
you know, I could be wasting yeah. my time, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think a big problem uh, with social media, A, has to do with that external validation. I think everybody, or not everybody, but, uh, you know, a lot of people are on there looking for external uh, validation rather than just doing things and being happy they did it. You know, a lot of people go to these places and uh, for the sole for the sole reason, just take the picture and to show people that they did it rather than the actual experience, you know, uh, to, to be there present and just enjoying the moment. Uh, and I also think that uh, because of that, we don't get to see all of the bad uh, mm. that people have. We only see the good. We get to see what they choose to show. And if we only compare based off of that, then we're, of course we're going to feel, you know, less than because we know all the bad. In fact, it's human nature to hold on to the bad a lot more than it is to, you know, be grateful for the good and recognize that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a big issue with social media. I agree that that exists very strongly in the social media world. But let me pivot that a little bit and talk about like uh, media entertainment. I've noticed, especially in the last couple of years, but I think we've been uh, on a trend on a trend of this in the last maybe five to ten years. Uh, think about comedy or TV shows. Think, things that are really taking off right now, I think, are the more vulnerable uh, types of content that do show the bad. Um, one thing that comes to mind, I hope you guys watch this. If not, it needs to or you watch immediately. It was called Inside uh, by Bur- Bo Burnham on Netflix. Did you guys watch that? Uh, I did. I remember I, I told Garrett to to check it out, but it was a... Uh... Which I have not. Yeah. Fair enough. But, I mean, and, and there's a lot going on there. I mean, he's also, he's certainly showcasing his talents in vibrant, beautiful ways for sure. But there is, there's a magnifying glass on the bad, like the bad emotions, the negative thoughts, that type of thing. And I'm seeing it even just in comedy specials there, uh, or even just shows, uh, TV shows, even some sitcoms are starting to take a look at behind the curtain a little bit and try to, you know, look at people's emotional state a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I think that goes with, you know, mental health being a little bit more prevalent nowadays. Like, you know, a couple, a couple years ago and our parents, you know, youth, it was just like, Oh, you know, suck it up, be a man, do whatever, like, or, you know, do something that like, just distract yourself with something else. I don't know, like not really dealing with the core problems or anything. Everyone just kind of had to keep it to themselves, especially, especially men. I feel like, um, yeah, there's so much pressure to just be a man about it, suck it up, you know, whatever. And nowadays I, I think people are realizing, okay, mental health is a very serious thing, especially, especially now with, you know, stuff like where people are looking at social media, comparing themselves blah, blah, blah you know, anything else they, they've got so much, they've got access to all the information they could ever want. And now they see like, um, all the shit that's going on across the world, like not just, you know, whatever you get a newspaper, like, Oh, somebody bombed like X country, whatever. Like that's all you're seeing. Now it's Mm -hmm. like, you're seeing videos of people like recording right where it hit. You're seeing all, all the, the chaos and all all the horrible shit in the world now that like everyone's like, Oh my God. Like, you know? Yeah. So like, I, I think now a lot of shows are really like, going off with that and uh, you know as they should and i feel like they should i feel like we need to do better to like um not stigmatize mental health or you know getting help or you know taking medication whatever you know i think 
No, no, I was going to go on like a, a point. So if you have like a, a chime in or you want me to go or. You go ahead. You go ahead. Back to the entertainment. I have a quick question I want to ask you guys. Do you guys have a favorite comic? Uh, it could be hero, anti-hero, villain even, anything. Uh, for me personally, it's Hellboy. Yeah, I, I know you do identify with Hellboy very strongly. I don't, I, I, don't, a, I don't know if I have a, a comic character that I identify with in terms of like uh, their character and, and stuff like that. Honestly, I kind of feel like Hellboy might be a bit unique uh, with most. I mean, obviously, all, all these characters have specific characteristics about them, but right. Hellboy is, is a much more... His fo- the focus of Hellboy in a lot of ways is his character. Um, and I don't see that same type of focus on a lot of comic book characters. Spider-Man is the easy answer. He's definitely like the coolest superhero. I like him the most. But mm-hmm. in terms of his emotional state, there's not much I identify with there just being someone, I mean, the surface level of someone who wants to do good, sure. But I don't, right. I don't know. I don't think I identify with one much. I, I want to think about that more, though, maybe give you a better answer later on. The reason I, I bring that up is I feel as though when we're young, we generally gravitate towards these uh, stereotypical superheroes. For instance, let's say Superman, right? The the invincible, perfect, you know, amazing hero. But as we get older, you know, most people nowadays, I'll say Superman sucks. You know, I, I like Superman. But, you know, a lot of people don't, don't like Superman as much as yeah, they would say, like, Iron Man, Hellboy, yeah. Deadpool you know, uh, Daredevil, all these guys. And I think a reason is uh, with those, you know, uh, antiheroes and heroes, antiheroes specifically, I'm going to say, we get to see a lot of the bad and we can identify with that. I think that that could be a big reason as to why as uh, people get older, they tend to prefer those, uh, I guess, archetypes. Dude, it's hard to identify with Mr. Perfect, right? Like, I don't have anything in common with Superman. (laughs) I yeah, uh, I think everyone else you just mentioned, though, there are parts of each of those characters I can pick out that there is a struggle to identify with. I, of course, we can identify with antiheroes because they're not perfect. Uh, you'd like to think that most of the time uh, when Bush comes to shove, they make the right decision, which is what most people would like to think about them, themselves, I'm sure. Um, but they explore the good and the bad, which if you're a human on planet Earth, that's your experience. Right. I mean, once you kind of really get into like the the characters, they they always have their own like spinoff comics where things are a lot more gritty and dark, and Definitely. you know you get to see more of uh, who they actually are and stuff like that. But yeah, I I definitely do see uh, people start leaning more towards the darker characters with more of a, a sad story that they can really relate to as they get older yeah all right well before we close out here guys uh i'm gonna change the topic a little bit so that way we end up on, we end on maybe not such a bleak note <laughs> not that i didn't enjoy that conversation but you know let's let's go let's get a little bit maybe more silly with it uh i actually have a movie pitch for you guys and i think that i'm sitting on a gold mine here so I want to get your thoughts. Uh, I don't know how uh, trademarking things works, but if you're listening to this, you can't take this idea. Uh, that's not how that works. <laughs> so just don't even try. Um, so here's the idea. Let me know if it's stupid. Let me know if it's genius. Uh, yeah. Uh, basically, <clears throat> what I'm thinking of here is combining every movie genre into one, okay? I want a, a funeral, wedding, comedy, horror, musical. 
type movie. So picture picture everyone. The the backdrop for this is a funeral, right? This is the reason why all of our characters are are coming together. That somebody died, let's say a grandma or something. Uh, so you gather your cast of people, uh, you know, friends and family, whatever. Um, it is a musical. All these plots are unfolding in the form of a musical. Um, but it's it's also kind of a whodunit uh, movie, you know, uh, murder mystery type deal. So there's a few different nuggets going around. Let's say there's let's say there's six different plots happening, and one plot you got a couple characters who are trying to figure out how so and so died or who murdered them potentially, and they have a couple suspects. So that gives us our reason to interview different people, and you start getting these different side plots. Uh, you know, maybe some romance side plots going here and there. And all of this to the tune of a musical, which a musical at a funeral already lends itself to a lot, a decent bit of comedy. Uh, what do you guys think here? This is just the concept. There's no uh, actual plot or details. Mm-hmm. I have. Just, just vague concepts, it's, like all things I think of. It's definitely ambitious. Uh, it's, it's definitely kind of hard to like go down the horror. Well, actually, no, there, there's definitely a lot of horrors that are also comedic, but it, a lot of times they're comedic because of how bad they are. Yeah. And that's not always intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, could this be a play over a movie? The more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm, you know, you, you could really play up a lot of the, these cheesecake concepts in the form of a play, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think, the musical. Yeah. I think once you get into like live performing, I, I think a lot of the horror kind of goes out the window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm maybe um, not or I'm not sure. I think uh, you could. It would be to blend as many genres as possible and as seamlessly as possible. You could tackle a lot of them if you remove horror, or if you, you know, one of the the contradicting. Because, like, for instance, what Cass said, like the comedy and horror definitely works. Uh, scary movie is a perfect example. Like, yeah. uh, if you're if you're going for legitimate comedy, not comedy in the sense that Cast stated, where it's like you know, so funny because it's bad. Yeah, at that uh, point, it's like more of a parody as a as opposed to a purely I think, comedic. I think if you, you build the whole story around irony, there's situational irony already, you know. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a comedy at a funeral. Uh, the irony of the different plots conflicting, I think, you know, you can do something with as well as the genres of it. And it would be... It would, What's the message? I mean, like, what would your message of it be? Uh, I'm not too sure. I mean, uh, this is just this a is kind of a random. It's more or less a random thought I had, but I do, I do think it has legs. Do you? Is there? What what movie or what anything have you guys ever consumed that had that combined the most amount of genres? The only ones I can really think of are those parody movies. You know, scary movie, obviously. Even like date movie, or uh, there's. There's just all these different kinds that are good at blending two different genres, but I feel like I can't think of any that go more above and beyond than that. Yeah, I suppose satires, right? Satires are probably the closest to like uh, blending different genres and parodies. Yeah, yeah. I, I think parody movies are, uh, you know, they, they don't really have a rule book. They're just kind of making fun of a whole lot of things. Yeah, that's true. With kind of the thing is, they're cheap. They're cheap, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they they have like a general plot line, like say whatever scary movie, like where they kind of just follow the the plot of some sort of movie or multiple different movies, and then 
in the movie they have like bits of everything where they just kind of like um you know make fun of or whatever like i, I i'm sure at at some point I, I can't remember off the top of my head and i don't know if i've seen every single scary movie i'm sure they've had a musical number or something like that in there just because you know they could if they haven't it would be a very large missed opportunity yeah <laughs> right, let me throw this at you i just thought of all right everything i said before but it's all a podcast okay it's all all of this is happening but it's all just audio like almost like an audiobook right yes or, okay yes well, i guess audiobooks exist already i thought i was doing something <laughs> well it'd be a live audiobook if it was a podcast uh, not necessarily i there are podcasts that exist that are like storytelling ones that have like like i don't know you're following a group of people in the woods or something and you kind of hear people creeping up on them and you can hear wolves in the night and stuff that just on auditory. Did you guys ever do that at Wonderworks? There's like a room where they turn the lights off and they yep. like tell the story. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, there are there are podcasts like that. That I, I've never listened to them before, but I do think that's an interesting, um, like niche part of the podcast market that 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 could be that could be explored. I I almost would be willing to bet in the future that'll um, that that probably will take off as technology advances. We can more fine uh, A cool thing that I think they could do is maybe filming. Well, not, they wouldn't be filming. It would be strictly audio, but you're doing it from the first person perspective where you kind of are the protagonist. They could either be talking or they could be completely silent the entire film. And you could do say a horror cause that would be kind of easy to do. And mm. I mean, you know, you can listen to music and it, it'll play around like how it goes through each earbud and you could listen yeah. to those YouTube videos where you can like you you hear like people are walking around behind you. You could definitely yeah, do a movie like that. People are like addressing you specifically. Exactly like, that way, and, like and you could fine tune the dialogue to where like like the the dialogue all still works without you having to vocally fill in the gaps or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can like th- they can be describing the scene in kind of a way that like like oh the killer's at this window and then you'll hear like a. Uh, a window break or something and like the way that the the audio picks up in your headphones like it, it kind of directs you on where that is mm-hmm. uh, the pillar's behind you and you feel you hear the footsteps coming exactly from behind you i think that would be pretty fucking cool and you would also this podcast you can't still out either that's <laughs> and like obviously it's great for people that are deaf bl- or not deaf but blind um oh yeah you know, like, sure. I feel like they would feel like represented in a way as well, which would be nice. And it would help, you know, put people in their shoes. I'm sure. That's really true. I guess that's a whole other way you can market that whole thing. Like mm-hmm. it's a whole, this is an entertainment medium for, uh, maybe not, not exclusively for, but mm-hmm. including the deaf. Well, you can market it as a, as an experience almost like, mm. you know, it would be, it, it it's, it would be really unique. It would be cool. It's like, you know, a horror movie, but in the eyes of someone that's blind. I actually think it's, that's a really good idea. I it's would, a more active form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're actually in the movie. You close your I, eyes. I mean, like VR, but it's just playing to the different sensibilities. Exactly. You just you, you literally lay in bed, put in your headphones, close your eyes, and just experience the movie. I think that would be awesome. Okay, now that would make it sexy porn but just audio porn that's a that's a thing right that's called phone sex 
Uh, I mean, I that that would work. I'm sure. I mean, I, I, yeah. There's there, yeah. There's exactly there's phone sex like that. People get mm-hmm. off to just you know someone talking dirty to them or whatever. Like you could do that, but I guess include the audio of whatever's going on and make it in a way where you know. And it, it might even be good because it, it lets the the viewer kind of put the you know whoever they're having sex with or whatever like up to their imagination. Well, that's yeah. that's what I mean by the uh, active entertainment versus passive entertainment. You know, like most visual forms of entertainment are what you could call passive forms mm-hmm. of entertainment because uh, it's all given to you. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, reading, I for one, like I love to read. And I was actually thinking of like books when we were talking about like different plots and all that stuff. But uh, I digress. Uh, when it, I, I found that you could equate reading a book more to what we were describing with the uh like the podcast type uh i guess film we were talking i don't even know what i would call that i guess like the like yeah, the experience you know what I'm, yeah, yeah the experience right yeah it's a more active form of entertainment because it forces the imagination now to become involved with the story it's not all given to you exactly explicitly. and and like you know say whatever the, the situation is a horror movie the killer is whatever the fuck you want it to be at that point. You know what I mean? Like, and it would be cool to see people's like concepts of how they imagined it. Like, you can create a website and everyone kind of like comments, like, what was this to you? Like, you know, people go off in the art and create what, what they envisioned as they watched the movie. And then it, it would maybe entice people to watch it oh, again. And now yeah. they're picturing said monster killer, whatever, yeah. how the other characters look. And now it's almost a whole different movie. Yeah, the ceiling is so high for this. Wow. Yeah. And like, not to be too uh, philosophical or anything, but based off of what the person develops in their mind, could maybe have something to say for themselves and what exactly. they're scared of. Oh wow! I think yeah, we're yeah, on to something yeah. here. You could compare like what? Yeah, if you have everyone describe what their experience with it was, you can compare it, and you that probably would speak to something something about your subconscious. That's true. And what they fear, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, not to cut this short, guys. I'll be perfectly candid with you. I am turtling at the moment, so I gotta go. <laughs> All right, Dave. Is there right. anything else you guys wanted to touch on uh, this episode, or any other thoughts you guys were itching to get out here? I we think, can get it on the next one, bro. Yeah, gotta go. I think we. I think we covered about everything that you know we could in a short amount of time. Yeah, right on. Well, kept I, going going it, guys. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed. Uh, real quick, uh, my name is Darius Cook again. Uh, if you guys like hearing my nice voice, you can check out the Darius Show podcast where I review the different shows I'm watching. And, you know, I kind of do breakdowns on the episodes and we like to have uh, long conversations over there. So that's where you can check me out on all podcast streaming services. And uh, to head out, uh, my name is Dan Cast. I stream. About four to five times a week on Twitch, my uh, the URL will be twitch.tv slash wizardcast. Play a bunch of games. We have a lot of fun. Hang out. Feel free to check it out. And I'm Garrett. You won't find me anyway, but probably <laughs> back here. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, tune in next week, guys, uh, for our full-on audio porn experience. We're going to make it real nice for you guys. So. Uh, Stop in, get the lotion ready. We're bringing it for you.